It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We often talk about the fake fights and false choices presented between Democrats and Republicans as they battle things out. But every once in a while, we get to see an interesting fake fight and false choice within a political party, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. Today, we're going to look at the Republican side of the aisle and what they might be running into in terms of a fake fight and a false choice. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. Think again. Well, it's always interesting. uh, Republicans often get that false choice of do we have to go for populism or small government? Culture wars, cancel culture. Uh, Brilliant piece by uh, Ryan Streeter and Stephen Goldsmith. Uh, in Politico, the false choice facing the Republican Party. Really interesting. Again, regardless of which side of the aisle you tend to fall on. Uh, Ryan is the director of domestic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute and joins us on the line. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. Uh, So let's dive into this. Uh, Obviously, there's been a a lot of criticism, a lot of challenges within the Republican Party. Uh, You really broke it down. Uh, Give us first a sense of what's the reality in terms of that intra-party battle. Yeah, so the the issue right now seems to be that the Republican Party has not been able to come up with an agenda that it can articulate that's kind of positive, that gives people a sense of what sorts of things they're going to be doing, even in a divided Congress looking towards 2024, um, that would have at heart um, the interests of middle class and working class families. So right now, um, we have a a party that, that really didn't do very well in the midterm elections last fall. Um, it's learned some lessons from that. I think it learned that by uh, relitigating the past, by focusing perhaps too much on culture wars, but not enough on sort of bread and butter issues like good jobs and, and safe streets and, and good schools, um, that they missed an opportunity there um, to pick up some votes. And this is the same party that did not have a platform in 2020 for the first time ever. Um, it's been a long time since you've had Republican leadership coming up with something that we would call a, a, an agenda, Right. And so now, uh, when you look at the debates happening in, in Washington, you'll often see uh, people within the Republican Party arguing over whether they should just not do anything at all or investigate Joe Biden or whether or not we should just be opposing what the Democrats do, blocking and tackling, instead of starting to articulate a vision. And so what Steve and I, Steve, my co-author, is the former mayor of Indianapolis, uh, now at the Kennedy School uh, at Harvard, which we're arguing that there's actually a lot – that we know from public opinion polls and other things about what people actually are really motivated by right now. And there's a lot for Republicans to, to work on. So that's that's what we tried to do in the piece. Yeah. And let's let's dig into some of that, because I think you're exactly right. I, I think this I think you can win some elections being against things, but that doesn't mean you get to actually lead. Uh, and I think the party has has really failed in that. Uh, it was pretty stunning that there was no platform uh, in 2020, although I'm kind of a uh, Abraham Lincoln style platform of a single page, not uh, 50,000 words that they've uh, <laughs> evolved into. Uh, but give us some perspective in terms of, of where where is the polling? Where is the country? Where are some of those opportunities that Republicans might want to be thinking about in terms of getting a positive forward facing vision 
uh, of where they want to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things we point out in this essay is that when you look at large national surveys, you'll find that there's a lot of agreement among just regular middle-class families and working-class families. Uh, the Republicans have been talking a lot about uh, appealing to working-class voters ever since Donald Trump's 2016 uh, victory, but there's been kind of a misunderstanding of them. And when you actually look at polls, you see that um, there's common cross-cutting issues that people are most concerned about right now. Um, one of those issues is affordability, which isn't you know, a surprise in an inflationary environment, particularly the ability to, to live in a home that you really like and being able to afford that. Young couples can't afford them. Too many people can't gain access to places where there are good jobs because they can't afford um, housing there. Um, people are concerned about public safety, especially after the pandemic and after the, the, the summer of 2020 where uh, crime really spiked across our cities. That's uh, consistently over the last two years when you ask people what they're most concerned about in their community. Even if they live in a safe suburb, they still say crime. And then also the, the condition of our schools. I mean, the pandemic really put upon the country an appetite for um, good schools, for school reform again, just because of what the closures did to a lot of parents' view of their school district. And so these are issues that Republicans historically do really well on. Um, But over the last few years, they just haven't given a lot of thought to what the policies might be that could could help them build on those issues. Because that... I, even in a primary election, you could actually inspire a lot of and motivate a lot of voters by having a, an articulated vision for each of those areas that I just mentioned. Yeah, so important. Uh, and it is, I, I think that uh, the things that tend to move or re-engage voters really are those things of community, uh, compassion, self-reliance, upward mobility, opportunity, uh, those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and no one seems mm-hmm. to be talking about those uh, as they try to move it forward. So give us kind of that aspirational piece. What, what should that look like? Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so I think you know we mentioned in there there've been there's a strain of thinking within conservatism and within the Republican Party that goes back uh, you know well over 20 years back into the 1990s at least um, that that's gone by the name of compassionate conservatism under George Bush or reform conservatism after that where the the needs and interests of people kind of lower down on the socioeconomic uh, scale um, uh, help you form your your basic policy ideas, and you try to think what would it what would it look like for everybody in America to enjoy upward mobility, and so removing some of the barriers to housing costs, making it um, easier to move from one profession to another without having to go through recertifications, making it easier for people to move closer to jobs. There's a number of things you can do to help people pursue their idea of the American dream. And so and, and, and you're never going to get very far if people feel like the streets where they live are not safe or their communities are, are going in the wrong direction. And so you, you, you need to revive things like community policing and other, other things that in the past have shown 
that they can both raise uh, trust in the police at the same time you're lowering crime. Mm-hmm. Republicans just haven't talked about these things in a long time. Yeah. And there's a whole new kind of class of, of Republicans in Congress who oh, it's as if they don't even know these, these, these past ideas are there. So we weren't trying to invent something entirely new. We were yeah. just trying to say there's some great ideas within the tradition, the noblest tradition of the Republican Party that could be dusted off and updated for today's challenges. Yeah. And one of those that you mentioned uh, in your political piece uh, that we've been trying to dust off uh, here as well, uh, we call it making federalism sexy again. Uh, but uh, but you talked <laughs> about this whole idea of federalism. And so how would how is that best for Obviously, it, it doesn't it doesn't sound really compelling to, to most people. How do you how do you put that in a frame uh, where it actually could mm-hmm. become a, a positive part of the vision? We want uh, in America as big and as diverse a country as we are. Um, we want people to be able to pursue the American dream in a way that, that works for them. And one of the best guarantees um, for uh, stability and peace while, ha- while enjoying diversity is to have this distributed power center that federalism makes possible, right? So instead of trying to impose moral views of America from Washington, which is, has become very popular, not just – it's been popular on the left for a long time. That's become pretty popular on yeah. the right yeah. in more recent years. Um, what what nobody wants, and this is always clear in the polls, nobody wants a moral vision stamped on them from Washington, D.C. And oftentimes uh, you'll find that people don't even want a moral vision they agree with stamped on them from right, Washington. Right. And so really this is about families and individuals being able to enjoy freedom in the most basic sense in America. And, um, and federalism is a way of allowing communities to be self-determining. And, you know, we can, we can move around if we don't like where, where we live or if we don't like the direction of our community, at least when, when our decisions are being made locally, we have a greater chance of influencing the direction of our community when those decisions are made there. So federalism is, is really about protecting that just basic number one desire of Americans to be free to live their lives, which also, by the way, is one of the top three most important definitions of the American dream when you, when you pull people about it. So yeah. I think that personal liberty, personal ability to pursue my own path, that's what federalism protects. Yeah, so, so important. And uh, give us, are there... Who who are some folks within the Republican Party who may emerge as uh, a spokeswoman or a spokesman for for this kind of vision where it's not just we're against anything coming out of the, the Biden administration or the Democrats uh, or we're just hunkering down and doing nothing, you know, waiting until we get power somehow and, and then, we'll, then we're mm-hmm. going to do something cool. Uh, who, who are the people who are at least looking at it in a different way who could say, hey, let's reject the false choice and let's create a new vision? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, and I don't mean to to sound pessimistic, but within Congress, there aren't a whole lot right now. And that was part of the reason we felt compelled to write something like this, is to to have those who are governing in Washington start to think about their responsibility for the future a little bit differently in these terms. Um, But, you know, I always look to governors. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there are some members of Congress who, um, you know, are eyeing a 2024 bid who speak this language very well. I would include Tim Scott in that yeah. um, past governors like Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, who, um, you know, speak this language as well. I think you're going to see people actually starting to do this as we as we turn the corner towards 2024, because uh, where we've been over the last three electoral cycles just hasn't worked out very yeah, absolutely. Ryan Streeter is the director of domestic policy. Come up with some new ideas. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're starting we're starting to see an appetite grow there. But right now the room's pretty small because the, those those muscles have atrophied. <laughs> they have they have atrophied in a number of ways. And uh, Ryan Streeter, director of domestic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Great piece in Politico and uh, great insight. Uh, and we should just all reject the false choice and actually get to a bigger, broader vision. But thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, again, some some great things there, and and Ryan is exactly right. the The gene pool seems to be a little small. Uh, more people seem to be concerned about just 
don't say anything, be against everything, and uh, hopefully we'll come out on top and then we can do something. And I think that is just absolutely the wrong approach for either political party. I don't care which side you're on. Uh, because the the fact is we have we've let these muscles atrophy our our social capital muscles our our interconnectedness muscles uh, and there's great answers there and those principles and those policies still resonate and ring true with the American people and I triple dog dare the Republicans or the Democrats to give it a shot. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.